All right, team, come on, come on. All right, so we've got a few uh, visitors here. So just to be clear, um, uh, a group of us went last Thursday, I believe, to Romania to uh, serve there. And uh, one of the things that was a little, uh, that I, I think we, we learned was that uh, there's a lot of work uh, going out of this one particular church uh, in, I see a lot of laughing, uh, a lot of, uh, I know it's a ragtag bunch. We got a lot done though. Um, there's a lot of work happening out of this one church. And so when, when David's team went back in the fall, um, they helped particularly with ARFO, which is the Romania Without Orphans organization. Um, we did not at all. We actually helped with a different organization, also sort of run out of this church, um, called UBC 22, which is United Bucharest Churches uh, 22, which now also involves churches in Ukraine and um, Syria. Not Syria, Turkey. I don't even know why I said Syria. Um, Turkey. Um, so the, the two main, and I'll be relatively quick, because I want you guys to hear from everyone else, but the, the two main things that UBC 22 does is... Uh, they are essentially a transitional house for uh, refugees from Ukraine. And so when David was there, there were a ton of refugees that were being housed there. Now it's much more temporary. Um, they will get them in, process them, and send them to more long-term uh, housing in different parts of uh, Romania or uh, Europe. I mean, having family in a different country in Europe is kind of like having family in Utah, right? So uh, a lot of people, a lot of places. And then NATO has actually stepped in to help uh, get more long-term housing for a lot of the refugees. So that's the first thing they do. It's like a, a, a transitional place for them through this church. The other big thing that they do is take uh, convoys of supplies into the Ukraine. Um, they've, they've partnered with, they're starting to partner with more and more churches in the Ukraine the war has done a lot to Ukraine, but two, the two big things that they have, it has done uh, that God works for good is Ukraine was, uh, we heard from more than one group of people or pastors there that Ukraine was essentially the Bible Belt of Eastern Europe. And so the war went in and basically dispersed all those Christians all over Europe. And they want churches and they want to plant churches. And so that's happening. And then also the younger generation that is still in Ukraine uh, a lot of them are getting saved, and the churches are blowing up in the Ukraine. So, again, God works all things together for good, and so what these convoys are doing are, is going in and, and just funneling supplies to a lot of these churches. So I'm going to run through a handful of pictures that we have, and then I want you guys to hear from our team uh, some of their experience. So, praise the Lord for the new projector, because you might be able to see some of these. Um, okay, so this is the front of Holy Trinity Church. Um, kind of a neat story, uh, and I, I'll try not to be too long, but when Ceausescu was demolishing, you know, everything, especially religion in Romania, um, Holy Trinity was at a different building, and they, he was going to demolish this building, and God and his sovereign providence had uh, an ambassador to the U.S. as a member of Holy Trinity Church, and so he basically stood on the stairs and said, go ahead, demolish it, see what happens, and so this Holy Trinity Church has a letter from Ceausescu basically saying that the ambassador said, you can demolish this church, but you have to give us a different building. 
And so they get, he, he wrote a letter saying they can have this building. And so that's the building they've been in, which all these years later, uh, there's this building. So up top is the sanctuary. Underneath is a lot of rooms. And then there's a building in the back, which essentially they call the annex. That's where they're housing a bunch of refugees. So unbeknownst to this guy, you know, Krzyzewski, who tried to get a, you know, do away with Christianity, um, it's actually serving in a really great capacity now all these years later. So this is the front of Holy Trinity. This is the inside sanctuary. Um, all the green tape is, they had COVID too over there, you know. So this is uh, where you could sit, where you couldn't sit um, in the sanctuary. So upstairs is sanctuary. Downstairs is uh, a lot of the classrooms. And so when you walked in and walked downstairs, this is what you would see. Um, oh, man, where's my laser pointer? Um, so this is uh, the coffee bar because you got to have coffee. And so every morning we would come in and have coffee and then get to work. And so uh, that's their coffee bar here. This is Greg Kenofchinsky. Um <laughs> This is Maya. Um, th these are basically kids' Sunday school rooms. This room right here is, it's a little, it's more of a hangout room, but it's kind of an all-purpose room. And this is what they call the cafeteria, um, which is where they would feed the, the refugees. We'd have all of our meals there. Um, so this is just the inside of one of those kids' rooms, which they've only really updated in the last, you know, year or two. This is the other one. Um, next slide. So this is the cafeteria. This is where all the refugees come and eat, um, and we serve the food mostly over there in the corner. Um, but that's people getting their picture taken while eating that they didn't know. All right, so we would, not every meal, but we signed up to cook uh, two of the meals, and then we helped, I think we helped wash dishes at every meal. Um, or not we, but mostly some of them. Um, but we helped too, guys, right? Uh, what is this, high school? All the guys on one side, all the girls on the other side. <laughs> um, so we would cook meals for 60 to 70 people out of this kitchen. So, and that's what it looked like. Um, and it was a lot of bulk cooking, you know, big pots. So on this side, there's a stove. Right where Maya is standing, there's a, a stove. I'm sorry, there's a sink over where I'm standing. There's a stove. That's the other side of it. So that's the whole kitchen. Big convection oven, um, stove, cooktop, and then that counter space. And the, can you go back one? And then that counter space, and that's it. And so that's where all the food was prepped uh, every meal, every day, except breakfast. They would make it actually in the cafeteria. So a lot of cooking, a lot of cleaning. There you go. So um, that's in the annex. Uh, that's in the back. So the, the other thing that we were talking about were the convoys that they take into Ukraine. So these, they have, uh, they have access, I think, to 20 to 25 vehicles that have been either donated or that people just let them use. Um, so these vans um, and trailers that we just load up full and take. So this is their warehouse space number one. There's another warehouse space. Um, my dad was very um, helpful. Uh, <laughs> Just kidding. So this is a guy named Nehi, and this is Donnie, Danny. Um, he's the de facto head of the convoy crew, and Nehi's wife works full-time, and then the night before convoys basically works until 4 or 5 in the morning, getting all the paperwork organized to then send them out at 4 or 5 in the morning. And because it's a humanitarian effort, uh, if, you, if it says there needs to be 100 cans of meat, there needs to be 100 cans of meat. Okay, so that's... Uh, very important. And so there was a lot of this uh, in the warehouse, you know, a lot of the uh, train to the next people, which was really great. Loading up trailers, and uh, this is a guy named Ani. 
So he would actually, on me, on me. Um, so he would climb up to the top of some of these things. You know, they didn't have like OSHA. So they just climb up to the top and then throw the boxes down and so you'd have to catch them and hand them off. Not the cans of beans, but you know, some of these boxes up here. Um, oh, <laughs> I don't know how that got in there, sorry. This is what happens when you hand Sarah Kate your phone and say, take me pictures. Uh, oh, I don't know how that one got in there either. <laughs> so, <laughs> Touche. <laughs> um, one of the things, so this room right here, I, there's probably a better picture of the clothing closet itself. So this room right here, all the clothing donations go into that room. And it's a room about as big as David's office, maybe a little bit bigger. And it was a nightmare. Uh, because clothing donations, while we were there, clothing donations, well, hold on now, go back to my dad in a skirt. Um, while we were there, there were like multiple bags of clothing donations that just came in. Donations are always coming in, which is good, but it's an organizational nightmare because all the people are doing other things. So uh, Sarah Kate, Maya, and the girls, and my father um, organized that room like spick and span. So at least for two days, it was really organized, labeled, winter clothes, summer clothes. They, guys, they had two, not one, but two uh, cow suits. Like cow heads. Huh? I don't know. I don't have it. You have it? Send it to Daniel. I do. Well, it's there. Um, but I, this is like, they, it's, just, it's like a gigantic... Um, you know, when you ask for uh, yard sale like stuff and people just give you their junk, why do Ukrainian refugees need a cow head? I do not know. But they, that's the kind of stuff that was in this closet. Greg found a trunk that had a, a bag of open pretzels and things in it with expiration date from summer of 22. So we don't know how long these pretzels have been in there. Uh, so this, I mean, it's just everything comes in so fast, they just get it and put it away as best as they can. Um, there's a whole nother room downstairs in the annex that was nightmarish that they did a great job of organizing. This is uh, Enrico. He is uh, a Ukrainian refugee who, yeah, we walked in. And we, uh, Michelle, who uh, is one of the, well, was kind of like our point person, we walked in and Enrico walks up to uh, Michelle and pointed to the guys and goes, cowboys? And, you know, everything in me was like, yes. You know, but we we're like, no, we're from Georgia, you know. So, but, but Enrico is funny because he was like the uh, construction guy and everything that he, like while he was working all the time, he would talk to you like you understood Russian. He would just talk, like we, Greg and uh, Enrico and I walked to the hardware store and he's just talking to us, like you know, hand motions and stuff. And I'm like, I don't know anything he is saying. We're talking about saw blades and he's like just talking and we have no idea. But somehow we got it done. Uh, he is a, he's, uh, he and his family live there pretty much full-time um, helping do a lot of the maintenance there. Um, and this is Peter and his family. They were uh, refugees that were there. Um, really great family that we would see every day. Um, and actually, uh, this little dude and this littler dude, they really were helpful. Like, Greg and I had to mix concrete by hand and uh, pay, you know, put it down in one of the storage rooms. and. Uh, they were like trying to help lift these like 60 bag pounds of concrete like into the wheelbarrow. I was like, thanks buddy, let me help you. But um, they, were, they were really helpful. Um, do we have any more, is that it? That's the slideshow. So there's a lot more, everybody's got a ton of pictures um, you can find. So I would like to hand it over 
uh, to Sarah Kate, and we'll just kind of go down the row, whoever wants to say something, but um, <laughs> spread, spread out. No, I'm kidding. Uh, whoever wants to say something uh, can say something. Overall, it was a really uh, wonderful trip, wonderful time, lots of thoughts on teams for the future, um, but for now, we'll just hand it over. Um, last November, when Pastor David, Miss Stacy, and Maya shared about Romania, I knew I wanted to go. And when the sermon was over, I told my mom we had to. <laughs> now I can't believe I'm up here talking about my trip to Romania. This was our first time on a plane and out of the country, so it was a big trip in a lot of ways. When I heard there was a war in Ukraine, I knew it was sad and evil, but it was far away and didn't really seem real. So going over so close and hearing stories and meeting people who had lost so much helped me think about things clearer. There were several boys at the center who were almost fighting age with one or no parents with them. Thankfully, they got out of the country before they would be drafted to fight but they were just a little older than me and Lincoln. They left everything and had to live in a church. I heard that one of them wouldn't even talk for the first two months he was there, but now he is happy, kind, and playing with the little ch children at the church. It made me think about Genesis 50:20. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. The war in Ukraine is so evil, but God is so, so good, and I got to see some of his good firsthand. The first morning at the hotel in Romania, I cried because I missed everyone and I felt so out of place. But mom helped me get into perspective and reminded me that the trip wasn't about me. So we got ready and went to the center to work. This was our first full day working and getting to know the volunteers and refugees at the center. As the days went on, I started finding my place among everyone. There was one refugee we met named Anna who came to Romania with her four kids and her mom. She opened up and we quickly learned that she loved music. On Sunday night after dinner, she got her son Raphael to get his guitar and we all sang together. It happened again on Monday night and we had a big group of volunteers and refugees all singing together. I loved that especially. We were all worshiping the Lord in our own languages, Ukrainian, Romanian, Russian, and English. I love music, either playing or singing, and it was so great because I got to bond with the refugees through worship. It just reminded me that even if we couldn't understand each other, we were reminded that God is what brings us together. Now I'm so happy I didn't pity myself for long because I got to serve and have the wonderful opportunity to have fellowship with more members of Christ's body. God gave us this opportunity to connect with people. I can't wait to go again. Well, I, I didn't go over there just to dress in the Romanian uh, whatever, and I don't know why that picture came up there. but. Two things that I learned um, when I think Sarah Kate and I were going to see the warehouse initially, and I've had this in my heart, why would so much evil happen in that country down through the centuries? And like Matt had said earlier, um, Christy, who is one of the pastors and one of the leaders, said, you know, Randy, I understand what you're saying, but I came here, my wife and I, we are supposed to plant churches. And you have to understand what you talked about is that 
He uses, God uses good to come out of evil. And not only do they, are churches springing up in Ukraine, but he said all those Ukrainians who have been, become refugees are seeking other places to live, most of them. And he said, I'm a church planner and I do nothing and churches are being planted everywhere. And the people that come through our, our area. And he said um, that they go to empty churches in Europe, that you go to these big, beautiful churches. And he said, now you see there are churches, these people from Ukraine want to start churches. And they may have the first two families that are settled in these areas. And then all of a sudden he hears back that, oh, you need to come. We have 50 people worshiping. And one guy said, can you come? We, they don't, they want to be in our worship with us, but they don't speak their la- our language. And Christy said, my job is done, and I'm not even there. That's how God works. And uh, that's just kind of answered the question I had of why things happen in this world, and that there definitely is a God who takes care of all creation. Um, I got to go both times to Romania, and so I think the first time around I got to see the tangibility of the ministry they have there. Um, this time around I got to be part of that tangible, tangible, tangible ministry, um, so it was just a lot of fun. Um, cleaning out closets and cooking meals, doing dishes, things like that that can be so mundane, um, but getting to see the just like joy we got to spread while doing it um, was really cool, and just to be part of the Um, community there and to kind of get to know the volunteers and the staff and the refugees that spend their time there and um, run it 24-7 without complaining. Um, It was really unique. I'll just expand on that. It was really just amazing that some of the people there were paid, but a lot of them were volunteers and they show up every single day. They say have full-time jobs, they're still showing up, they're working, so it was really it was really re- rewarding to be able to step in and say, hey, you know, I, I got this. You take the day off kind of thing. Um, just, we can just find stuff to do, clean, bake, cook, break up concrete, whatever, you know. <laughs> that uh, just gave other people a break because it is really inspiring to see those people showing up day after day after day, and they're always happy. They've always got a smile on their face, and it's, I mean... We were there for a week, and I was like, oh, my gosh, how many more days can I do this? And they're there every single day, working away. It was really, really uh, inspiring. Yeah, they, um, they, don't, they don't do a lot of grumbling or complaining over there and uh, are working all the time. So when I was telling our Sunday school that one of the um, two, two funny things, going back to Enrico, he was like, hey, can any of you cut wood straight? I was like, oh, I can cut wood straight. He, he handed me a reciprocating saw, like a sawzall, which if you don't know what that is, it's just a blade that does like this, and it bends. So it's like, you want me to cut something straight with that? You know, because they wanted a pew shortened. It was a mess. But the other thing that um, was like my, I don't know, highest compliment to our team was, uh, so these convoys that go into Ukraine on, uh, I think Monday morning, Christy got back, or we saw him Monday and then Thursday, they were out on another convoy. And Wednesday, Wednesday night, we had helped load up the convoy, cook dinner, and Christy, uh, Michelle, Christy's wife, was at home, and he walked in the door and, like, startled her 
because she was like, I never see him the night before convoy. Like he always gets home at like midnight and they leave out at 5 a.m. And he like came home and prayed with our kids and put our kids to bed. And we had like a 20 minute conversation. She's like, and that never happens before convoy. And so that for us, I mean, for me, I won't speak for everybody, but I think that was one of the main benefits of this trip was to just really give some respite care to uh, this this team that is there 24-7. That is literally, you know, it's whatever, 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock, somebody's cooking dinner right now for refugees, you know? Like, that's what is happening right this second. So um, it's ongoing. It's all over the world. Um, this is the work. And so we are grateful to be able to participate in it. Um, I will, by the way, I just have to say, you know, as co-team leader, um, this team worked really hard. And one of the compliments that the people uh, gave to our team, to your team that represented you all, is, you know, we, they have teams that show up and they uh, work really hard for two and three days and then they like visit Bucharest <laughs> for the rest of the time. Um, but they said, you guys showed up every day, you served all day, you didn't complain, you did all this work and you were humble and we don't get a lot of American teams that do that, which, kind of hurt my heart, but also, like, warmed my heart. And so, uh, you know, this was a, a great team. I'm really proud of them, especially Millie and Lincoln. They did, they, they worked real hard. I know harder than some of y'all, I'm just saying. But they have youth on their side. <laughs> they kept saying, like, my dad would not do well on this trip. I was like, what does that mean? <laughs> I was like, oh, I'll make sure he knows you said that. Your dad works hard. All right, let me pray, wrap it up. We'll, we could be here all day. All right, let me pray. Lord, thank you so much um, for the opportunity and privilege to go to Romania and, and just see what's happening and help uh, bring some, some, even just rest to some of the team there that, is, uh, uh, you know, that we will get to spend eternity with, talking about the work that they did and the work that uh, is ongoing. Um, and I pray that you would help them. You would just give them supernatural strength that you would bring them help, that you would give them everything that they need to continue doing the work. Uh, I pray that you would, if, if you desire us, that you, we would send more teams to go and help in any way we can. You know, Lord, I pray that, uh, that you would bring an end to the war, but I also pray that as long as, as it is happening, that you would uh, make, make things turn out for good um, based on what's happening, Lord. We, we are grateful. We are thankful, and thank you for bringing us all back safely. Uh, God, we love you. We thank you for the work that you have for us, all the good works that you have prepared in advance for us. I pray that you help us to continue to participate in that, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, so thankful to hear. I, I talked to Teo um, on Sunday. Teo Benescu, as you know, he's in Estonia, but he's from Romania. And one of the things he said he misses most about being in Romania is the people, because the people are so friendly. And that's been my experience as well. And I, I said, I've mainly just interacted with Christian people. I said, are all the people in Romania, you know, this, this friendly? And he said, yeah, the people in Romania are just so friendly and hospitable. And I think that's been our experience um, across the board. So we'll, I haven't had a chance to hear from, from Matt about some of the specifics, but we'll, we'll be making some plans and having some opportunities um, to head back over there uh, sometime in the future. Um, okay, two quick things. Yes, I, uh, 
hurt my knee this week, so I'll just tell you all really fast. Um, I set my phone down and I put it on a timer and I was gonna jump over it and take a picture of me in the air over the phone. And I did it a couple of times and it didn't look like I wanted it to and so I sort of gave a big mighty leap and something popped. And it was a very audible pop in my right knee. And uh, at the time, I thought, this is terrible, I, I'm never gonna walk again. And that was Wednesday night. Um, so praise God, uh, actually I'm here and I'm standing and I'm able to be uh, with you. So I'm thankful for that. I'd say it's gone from terrible pain to sore and tight and hopefully it will continue to get better. So thank you. I know some of you heard about it through my children. Um, so I just thought I would get the like real story out there because uh, there's been a lot of reports that have come to me. Secondly, um, we're going to finish up our, our, our little series on elders this morning. My plan is to start 2 Samuel next week uh, on Sunday. I have jury duty tomorrow. Um, so I pray, and you can pray with me, that the Lord will have them take one look at me and say, we don't need that guy this week. Um, so if I end up having to spend a lot of time at courthouse this week, we might go a different direction. We've got Easter coming real quick, but that's my plan, just so you'll know what's going on. Um, yeah, so let me, let me dive in. This is our third and final sermon in our series on elders. We've answered three questions so far. Who are the elders? What is biblical eldership? And then last week we talked about the character or the qualifications of an elder. And this morning I want to get right to it, and we're going to finish up with two more questions. What do elders do, and how should the body relate to the elders? So open your Bibles to Acts 20, and I'm going to just jump right in. I'm going to dispense with, with the introduction. If you're, if you're just back or you haven't been around, I would encourage you to get the other two sermons, uh, listen to them on the podcast. But I'm going to jump in, in the middle, in verse 28, I believe, yeah, and we're going to pick up the second half of this passage this morning. So Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, and then we're going to kind of get after it here. Paul says to the Ephesian elders, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears, and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified." I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word which he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. 
Okay, so what do elders do? And we're going to look at this passage, the end of this passage. If you remember from last week, we said that Paul, uh, Paul said in 1 Corinthians, he said, you follow me as I follow Christ. And so, of course, first and foremost, elders are to be people who are examples to be followed. And so Paul actually starts out by saying, pay careful attention to yourselves The first thing an elder must do is guard his own heart. A.W. Tozer said, Do you know who gives me the most trouble? Do you know who I pray for the most in my pastoral work? Just myself. And so, very simply, an elder can't say, Follow me as I follow Christ, if he's not following Christ. And then from there, Paul says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. Okay, so the well-being of the flock depends primarily upon the careful attention of its shepherds. So how does a good shepherd, how does a good elder pay attention to the flock? Well, a good elder knows the flock. A good elder knows their names, knows their circumstances. He's with the flock. He's aware of the issues they're dealing with. He's observing their spiritual condition. He prays for them. He visits them. He encourages, comforts, counsels, and corrects them. He aids them in growing spiritually. He searches for them when they are wandering, and he loves them. He loves them. So that's the goal of the elder. The goal of any good elder is to know the flock, to pay attention to the flock so that he can guard the flock. And he is guarding the flock from fierce wolves. It's it's so interesting to me. Paul does not say, maybe after my departure, perhaps after my departure. He says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you. I know they're going to come. It's quite a picture, and it probably comes from Jesus' own words in Matthew chapter 7, talking about Uh, wolves in sheep's clothing, false teachers, and their goal is to devour the flock. They come in from without, and they come in from within. So let's talk about coming in from without for just a second. False false teaching has been a problem since the Garden of Eden, right? The, The serpent came in and said, has God really said? And it's always been a problem, but in, in my opinion, with the internet, we now have false teaching available to us all the time with our fingers. And so you can find false teaching by the bucket loads online. If you want to have uh, justification for thinking that the Bible is not trustworthy, you can find lots of places that will tell you that. If it's too much for you to believe that Jesus was born of a virgin or that he rose from the dead, if you want somebody to tell you that something can be true, even if it wasn't true, you can look at it on the internet. Somebody will be there to tell you. But what's most concerning to me as your pastor and elder are those who teach that you can love the world and love Jesus at the same time the prosperity gospel. Those who want to tell you that you can sin and still be a follower of Jesus. And, 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 and false teachers are rarely going to come to us and say, that thing isn't true. What they're going to come to you and say is, that thing doesn't really mean what it says it means. And so, we are guarding the flock 
from teaching that comes from the outside, from resources that the flock is being exposed to, from books that the flock may be reading. So from without, and then even more shocking, he says, from within. Paul warns that these fierce wolves will come among yourselves, come from among yourselves. This this is truly a wolf in sheep's clothing. And Paul says they're scripture twisters. They distort doctrine, and they sound really good while they're doing it. And so Paul exhorts these Ephesian elders, seeing him for the last time, he says, therefore be alert, literally stay awake, the opposite of being oblivious to danger, asleep or preoccupied. And remember, he's not saying be alert because false teachers might come. He says be alert because I know they're going to come. Don't be caught sleeping. And he's saying that to the elders. Brothers and sisters, the job of the elder is to protect the flock and to stay alert to the danger of false teaching, which leads to two questions that I want to ask you. Number one, how vigilant are you to be on guard against false teaching? How seriously do you take this threat? And this is a threat that that the warning against this threat runs all the way through the New Testament. We lock our doors at night to be on guard against intruders that might come into our household and harm our family. Are we as careful with the doors of our hearts? I'll tell you this. When when I hear someone say to me, and I hear this, I've heard it. People will come and say, I'm just trying to be open-minded. I I think to myself, they're they're in danger. They're, They're leaving the doors open, as it were. Jesus warns that in the last days, many false prophets will arise and lead many astray, and because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. How seriously do you take that warning? Do you consider yourself to be immune to the threat of false teaching? If you do, you're being foolish, because clearly the Lord says, be on guard. How devastated would you be to find out that your children have fallen victim to the teaching of wolves. I I have known situations where children have, have, have wandered from the faith and they were investigating things on the internet years before the parents even knew what they were investigating. How careful are you with what your children believe? What steps are you taking to guard your own heart and your family? Brothers and sisters, we have seen people wander from the truth. A good, good friend of our family who has wandered from the truth, someone that was a respected teacher and had been interacted with, who suddenly just started questioning cardinal doctrines, important doctrines in the church, and has now apostatized. And we think, that would never happen to me. Why are we so bold to think that? Which then leads to question number two. Is this what you want from your elders? Is this what you expect from your elders? Do you believe that there is real danger out there and that God has given you elders to help keep you safe? Because that's what Paul says that these elders are supposed to do. Would you be offended if an elder came to you and said, let's just talk about that person that you've been listened to. Let's compare what they say to the Scriptures. 
And I want you guys to know, we are always open to discussions. We want all of you, we want all of us to be like the noble Bereans that we talked about last week in Acts 17:11, who were, were going home every night and investigating the scriptures to see if the things that Paul was saying was true. And I'll say it again. If they were investigating what the Apostle Paul was saying, then all the more you need to be investigating what I'm saying. And let's compare it to the Scripture. No one is above the Word of God. For what it's worth, Paul's prophecy came true in Ephesus. Timothy was the pastor of Ephesus. Timothy became the pastor of Ephesus. Paul writes to Timothy to exhort him to deal with those who swerve from the truth. He says, their teachings will spread like gangrene. The church of Ephesus was started by the Apostle Paul, it was pastored by Timothy, and then church history reports that the Apostle John himself eventually was there at the end of his life. So you've got Paul, Timothy, and John leading your church, and eventually the church did fall away. We need to be on guard. We need to not take these things for granted. I, I, I am thankful that all the men who lead this church are orthodox, and, and I believe that we are sound in doctrine, but we should not rest on that. And you shouldn't rest on that, because this is a real danger. The other danger, too, that we seek to guard the, the, the flock against is, is the danger of sin. It's the danger of indwelling sin. And sometimes the hardest part of being an elder is trying to guard people from their own anger and lust and pride. And so if false teachers are like fierce wolves trying to get in from the outside, our indwelling sin is trying to open the gates and let them in. And and you might hear sometimes, oh, you know, uh, criticism of pastors. All all they want to do is point out sin. I promise you that is my least favorite thing to do. Like, I promise you I do not talk to you and think, what sin can I point out in this person today? I absolutely don't like it. It often involves heartache. People really, really love their sin, but it's something that we're called to do. Remember James 5, 17, where he said, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, it's a good thing. People don't wander back to Jesus. And so part of the job of the elder is to guard the congregation, to guard the congregation from false teachers from without, from false teachers from within, and from sin in our own hearts. All right, which leads then to the second thing that elders do, which is elders feed the flock. And so here's here's the point that I want to make here that sort of ties all this together. The most effective way to guard hope against false doctrine is to teach every member the Word of God so that you can recognize false doctrine for yourself. We want to teach you so well so that when you hear something that's not true, that immediately seems right. You, you recognize that that's, that's not true. And so for me as an elder, one of my driving motivations is to determine what needs to be taught and how. That's that's what I spend a lot of my time thinking about. What do we need to teach to our people, and how are we going to teach it? So most important is there will always be, Lord willing, as long as this church exists, there will be a, a steady stream of biblical preaching 
every single Sunday morning from this pulpit at Hope Bible Church, right? That's the first place. We all come together. I, I think of it as I prepare a meal for you, and, and we, we partake in that meal every single Sunday. I, I want the whole body also to have a broad overview of the Bible. That is one of my heart's desires is that you would be able to hear the book of Amos and you would at least know what's going on in the book of Amos. Who was he? When is he writing? What is he trying to accomplish? And that's why I started the Bible reading plan on Sunday nights. I, not because I just need more time to talk, not because you need more things to do, but because my heart and the heart of the elders was to teach you the Scripture. I personally right now have a heart to see our teenagers equipped with the Word of God. I, I personally wanted to teach them Sunday school, and I've taught a group of homeschoolers here on Tuesdays every uh, Tuesday for three years during the school year. So, so I'm constantly thinking, how can I get more of the teaching of Scripture into our people? And then pastoral counseling is also teaching. So it's simply teaching that's done casually and more in private. When I sit with a couple or with a person and I'm hearing them share with me something they're struggling with or something they're going through, I will confess to you, I am thinking, how can I bring the Word of God to bear upon this situation? I, I'm not there to just sit and listen. <laughs> I'm not. Like, I am there to say, let's talk about how the Word of God affects that situation that you're talking about. Paul said in this passage, he said, he did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And that word admonishment means to warn. So Paul is going around publicly and privately warning the Ephesians, which leads me to another question. And that is this, are you willing to be warned by your elders? And, it, and it's one thing to be warned about the dangers that we can all see. Don't, you know, don't be don't be stealing. Don't be killing anybody. Don't be lusting. Yes, pastor. Thank you. I needed that warning. But are you willing to be warned about the dangers you can't see? Pride, greed, discontent, unthankfulness. Because sometimes when elders try to warn our brothers and sisters about things they can't see, it turns out they don't want to see that or they would rather ignore that. So just so you know, elders are charged with teaching the Word of God to the body so that they can be on guard against sin and false teaching. Paul said, I, I did not shrink from declaring anything to you that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. And, and I assure you, I don't want to teach you anything. I, I'm not interested in book learning. I mean, I am. I am interested in book learning, but I am not interested in getting up here and just telling you something that I learned in a book. I want to be able to speak to you from my experiences, and, and, and it's, it's that imitate me as I imitate Christ to say, well, this is how the Lord has used His Word to help me in this circumstance, and I hope that it will be a help to you as well. When I get up here most Sundays, I am so excited to tell you what I have prepared because it's had an effect on my life and I want it to have an effect on your life as well. I would say this, throughout the New Testament, there's this great concern that Christians would fall asleep spiritually. 
There's a concern that they would become drunk on the world, that they would cease to be vigilant and anticipating the Lord's return. And I think that part of my job as your elder and the other elders is to constantly be reminding you, stay awake. Stay awake to the things of God. Stay awake right now if you need to, literally. Stay awake in your lives. Jesus is going to return. I just, I just read this week in a, in a book I've been reading about the coming of Jesus. And, it, you know, the, the, the author was saying, you know, one day, like right now it seems really foolish, right? Like Jesus is going to come again. People are like, yeah, whatever. No, a, a man is going to appear in the clouds and there's going to be a trumpet and it's going to be glorious. And people are like, that is so crazy. But one day it's actually going to happen. Jesus is actually going to appear. And you know what? It's not going to be crazy anymore. People are going to be like, oh. Actually, they're going to like crawl into caves and beg rocks to fall down on them because they're going to be so alarmed at his appearing. One day, brothers and sisters, all of this isn't going to seem nuts. It's going to be reality. And part of my job is to help you live in that reality. Okay, so elders guard the flock, elders teach the flock, elders pray for the flock. We pay close attention to the flock by praying for them. Paul actually doesn't mention prayer until the very end of this passage. He talks about it down in verse 36, that he knelt down and he prayed with them. He speaks of being in constant prayer for the churches. He tells the Colossians, we have not ceased to pray for you. None of you should think that Paul was a, a monastic. He was clearly doing things. So I think that what he means is, I was constantly thinking of you. I was constantly praying for you. It was his habit of life. So elders, pray for the flock. We pray for you. We pray for wisdom and direction for this church. We pray for protection. We pray for salvations. We pray for children of the church. I'll just tell you personally, I, I spend a fair amount of time walking around on that track over there just praying. And sometimes I'll just pray, Lord, bring people to mind that I can pray for in this congregation. It's, I'm so thankful that you guys sit in the same place all the time because I can kind of walk through in my mind like where you sit and, and pray for you with that in mind. It's always my pleasure to pray for you generally, but I would love to be more specific in our prayers. We talked about this in James 5. The one who is weak and weary should call for the elders of the church and let them pray for them. So please, please, please bring us your prayer requests so that we can pray for you. Oftentimes when somebody asks me to pray for them, I will say, are you okay with me sharing that with the rest of the elders? And I'll bring that to the elders. Our main elder meeting is once a month on Saturday. We meet for about three hours. We usually spend about the first hour talking about needs within the church and praying for people. We spend two other times per month about we used to do it on the afternoons, lately we've been doing it on Sunday mornings, where we get together just to pray for you. If you bring a need to one of us at elders, as elders, it will be brought to the elders and prayed for as soon as possible. And like I said when we talked about James 5, we are willing to meet with you and pray. We are willing to, willing to come to your house to pray. We will set it up for you to come on one of those appointed times to pray. We want to pray for you because we consider this one of the primary jobs of the elder. And then number four, elders lead the flock. 
Okay, so just to be clear, there is such a thing as bad leadership, right? Bad leadership is passive. Bad leadership is lazy. Bad leadership is worldly. Bad leadership is uninspiring. Bad leadership isn't just someone leading in a direction you don't like. I've really come to understand these days that leadership is entirely in the eye of the beholder. Somebody will love your leadership until you disagree with them, and then all of a sudden they're like, that's a bad leader, okay? There are bad leaders, but just because somebody says something you don't like doesn't necessarily mean that leadership is bad. Elders are a leadership body. I know that that clangs against our 2023 mindset, but elders are called to lead. They've been tasked by God with leading the church, and a huge part of leading is influence. It's a little cliche, but good elders lead from the front. A good elder does not say, follow me as I follow Christ, but I kind of hate it, right? I'll have to do this, but you should have to do it too, this Bible reading thing. If I'm going to read the Bible, you should have to as well. Go do this thing that I have no intention of doing myself. That's bad leadership. A good leader follows Christ joyfully, and others follow because they sense that joy. A good leader can say, we need to go to this really hard place, and let me tell you all of the reasons why I want to take you there. I, I, was, I had a Zoom meeting with Teo uh, this week, and he's, he's just such an encouragement to me. It's amazing to me that we can have a meeting in Estonia with him in Estonia and me in, in uh, Georgia, and, and we do it about once a month. He leads M4, which is a ministry that plants churches all over Europe. Um, he said recently that somebody asked him, what, what do we need to do? Because he's, so he's, he's, uh, he works as a pastor at a church in Estonia, and he works with planting churches all over Europe. And somebody came to him and said, what do I need to do to get you full-time with M4? And he said, absolutely nothing. I will never go full-time with M4 because I can't coach and train pastors if I'm not pastoring. And I love pastoring. And it's the pastoring that I do that enables me to go to other countries and tell other people about being pastors. I can't lead you somewhere. None of us can take you anywhere that we aren't willing to go ourselves. We also need men in the church who will lead and will testify to the grace and goodness of God in their lives. Men who will say, hey, God is a rewarder of those who seek him because I've experienced it. He really is with us. That fiery trial, brother and sister or sister that you're in, he really is with you because I've been through a fire and I've known that he is there. He has never left me or forsaken me. I have taken my stand on the promises of God and I can assure you that they are a firm foundation and I think you should, you should stand there as well. I can't exhort you to live by faith if I don't have faith. I can't offer you assurance that God will provide if I've never trusted him to provide. And one day, if I have to sit next to you on a hospital bed, or you next to me, I want to be able to read Romans 8, 28. For we know that all things, that for those who love God, all things work together for good to those who are called according to his purposes. And I want to know that both of us believe that promise. So good elders lead through influence. All right, let's transition quick, and I know we're, we're a little long this morning, 
but just bear with me for a minute because I want to just touch on one other question, and that is, how should the body then relate to elders? And this is where we have to go to Hebrews 13, 17. The scariest verse for elders and the scariest verse for church members. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. You guys, there are definitely self-seeking leaders. There are always going to be false shepherds. There are going to be those who don't think of the welfare of the sheep and who seize on the opportunity to take advantage for themselves. But let me tell you something. Just because one pastor in the Pacific Northwest behaved badly and hurt a lot of people doesn't mean that we all get to ignore this verse. Yes, pastors act badly, but we still need to do our best to observe what the Word of God has said. And our goal at Hope is to have godly, accountable leaders. Our leaders here at Hope, our elders, know that we will one day stand before Christ and we will give an account for your souls. And we want you to know that we teach you and we love you and we pray for you because that's what we believe God has called us to do. And so according to Hebrews 13, 17, the people of God at Hope should make our jobs easier. It hurts to see people blow off God's Word. It hurts to see the terrible effects that it has personally and relationally on people. We looked at 1 Samuel 8 several years ago now when Samuel is confronted with the people of Israel who come to him and say, we want a king. And he gives them all the reasons why that's a bad idea. There's a whole section in there, if you remember. Well, he's going to raise taxes, and he's going to take your land, and he's going to take your sons and daughters to serve in his army, and this and that and the other thing. And all the people say, yeah, we still want a king. Why? Because we want to be like all the other nations. We don't want God to reign over us. We want a king to reign over us. And they get Saul. And God says to Samuel in, chapter, in verse 7 of chapter 8, he says, they have not rejected you, they've rejected me. And that's the right response, and that's the right thing to say, but it doesn't make it any easier when you see people who are making choices that you know that are going to cause pain for them. So how can you let the elders lead with joy and not with groaning? Number one, just be present. Make it your habit to gather with us. Like I said, I, I prepare a meal every week, and, and I'd like you to be here to eat it. It should be your habit to be here, ready to consume the Word. I understand there are times you can't be here, there are times you're sick, there are times you're on vacation, but don't make us wonder where you are. Take part in other opportunities for teaching and fellowship. We don't offer these things lightly. I don't just sit around and say, I know all these people are busy. What else can I get them to do? I don't say that. I, if I offer something, if we offer something, there's a reason so I would just say, take part in the opportunities that we offer for teaching and for fellowship. Help us be attentive to you. It's much harder to shepherd you if we don't know you. Don't be bothered on you if we check, uh, bothered on, with us if we check on you. In my experience, individual members of the church require much less of me than they did when I started in ministry 20 years ago. Uh, you guys ask very little, really. I mean, sometimes people will come up to me and be like, I know you're really busy, but could we meet? I'm like, first of all, it's my job. I would, I would love to meet with you. If you have a need, I would love to meet with you. I know that is the, the mindset of the other guys as well. 
Help us pray for you. Tell us your needs. Don't be so proud. If you have a need, let us know. If you have a physical, financial need, let us know. Let us pray for you. Let us see the Lord provide. Erica went and bought crutches for me on Thursday. And then the next day, I got a text from somebody that said, do you need crutches? I have crutches, you know? And it's just like, probably should have let that need be known, right? Before we went and paid $60 for the crutches. Finally, pray for us. Pray for us. Think the best of us. We're not trying to make your life worse. We want to make your life better, more godly. Let us lead you. How does the church deal with sinning elders? This matters. This is like how do you relate to the elders, right? You hold us accountable. We're supposed to honor our elders, but it doesn't mean that we're supposed to obey them, honor them no matter what. Paul actually says in 1 Timothy 5, 19 and 20, do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. So this passage contains two provisions. Number one, it contains a provision to protect elders, but it also contains a provision to discipline elders. First of all, accusations will be made against people in leadership. Interestingly, Joseph, Moses, David, Paul, all experienced bitter accusations against them. David actually said to Saul when he was being pursued, why are you listening to these men who are saying, behold, David seeks to harm you? When people get angry with a leader, they will use whatever means necessary to strike out at them. And scripture provides protection for an elder saying, don't listen to unsubstantiated charges and don't automatically accept as true an accusation. Make sure you follow the steps. Don't be tempted to rush to judgment before you know the facts. Two witnesses, three witnesses. But if due diligence is done and the accusation is found to be true, then take action. Elders who have been found guilty of sin must be rebuked publicly. Paul doesn't want anything to do with, we'll just deal with that behind closed doors. We'll just get it taken care of. Nobody has to know. And many times I think the thought on that is, well, we need to deal with this quietly because we want to protect the church. This, the ministry here is just going so swimmingly, and, you know, to do this right now to an elder would harm the ministry of the church, and we don't, want it. we don't think that would be God's will. But it's always God's will that we follow the Word of God. And protecting the church is up to Jesus. It's not up to us. And remember, an elder is a person who has said, follow me as I follow Christ. And so the body must make it clear to the rest of the body, this man is no longer worth imitating for these reasons. And also, sinning elders bring shame on the body of Christ. So the steps of taking care of a, of a sinning elder, the, the case of a sinning elder, it is greater than those who, that are laid out in Matthew 18 because the sin of an elder is of greater consequence. And so it's your responsibility as a body to both hold us accountable and to provide for the fact that we're going to protect from unsubstantiated claims. Both of those are in 1 Timothy 5. One more way the body should relate to the elders is that men in the body should desire to be elders. And so I'm kind of coming back around here to where I started. 
If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. If you love Jesus, love his church, love the word of God, then that's a start. And as I go further and further in ministry, I do see that being an elder is a calling. You need to sense that the Lord is leading you to do that kind of work. There are rewards promised to those who serve well as elders. Peter says, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown crown of glory. And I don't think we talk enough about the rewards that are to come to us at the coming of Christ. Let me say a word here just quickly about raising up new elders, and I know we're going long this morning, but we had a lot to do. I do believe that Hope Bible Church needs to be raising up potential new elders from among us, mature men who are showing that they can lead the body. I think this is a sign of fruitfulness for us. I think the Lord expects us to be making new disciples and that some of those disciples should be shepherds. I I revisited our bylaws this week. Um, These were written four years ago. They need to be updated. The board of elders shall be comprised of not less than five men who satisfy the qualifications of elder. So we're short one right now, and obviously the bylaws are... a tool, not a master, and we didn't know what was going to happen with the Scots, with them moving to Charlotte, but we need to be praying that God will raise up another elder so that we be, can be consist, consistent with what we've stipulated. We've tended to appoint new elders in the fall. I don't think there's anything sacred about that. I just think it's a nice time when things are starting new, but ultimately it falls to you to recognize elders, like we said, to recognize the work of qualified men that's already going on. And I hope to be raising up, and part of what I want to be able to do is to be training men, raising up men to be elders. I want to be teaching men to teach. It's going to require some time and attention, but remember, guys, this isn't the Elk Club, right? We're not the Moose Lodge. Like, this is the body of of Christ that God loves and that he gave his son for. I would also love for some men and women to join us up in Cary, North Carolina. Once a year in October, we go up there and we spend some time together as elders, and we often say it would be great to have some other leaders in the church who are coming. These are men who are pouring into us, right? And I would love for some of you to hear that. We do it on the cheap. A couple of guys have slept in bunk beds a time or two. That's October 16th through the 18th, but we'd love to have some of you join us for that. And there's a lot more that I could say. I did want to talk about deacons and how they fit into this, but we'll, we'll cover that at another point when we have some time um, to talk about their role. So let me bring us to the table, the Lord's table. Uh, it might not seem like a very obvious connection, but I think it is this week because I read every week 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 26 when I get up here. The first words in that passage are, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. So leadership in the church begins with Jesus delivering a message to the Apostle Paul who delivered it to the churches, and it's passed down through all the ages, and I am delivering it to you today. We're going to raise up children here in this church who will pass it on to the next generation. So here is the message that Paul got from Jesus that we are handing down. And he said in the end of our passage this week, he said, It is better to give than to receive. And so as we consider this food that we're about to eat, it is about Jesus giving his body and his blood, which is what the leaders of the church 
want to do is to give. We want to be givers and not takers. We want to exemplify Christ and His attitude. We as Hope Bible Church want to be givers and not takers to the world around us. So if you're here today and you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're a visitor, you are more than welcome to partake with us. Hang on to the bread and the cup and we will uh, come together and read a passage before we partake in just a minute.